Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me, as always, in the virtual studio is the man who invented Barney, the dinosaur. I love you, you love me. <laughs> the one and only Ken Hellenius. Ken, how you doing, brother? I am exceedingly well. How are you this fine evening, Deacon? I am doing just great. Thank you very much, my friend. I gotta say, I love you, you love me. <laughs> yeah, you guys have yes. had a heck of a summer. Holy cats. We had guests a few weeks ago. A very good friend, Brenda and Kirk, came out and visited us from Portland. And it was literally 25 degrees cooler in South Bend, Indiana, than it was in Portland that weekend. Yeah, that's hard to believe. I think we set some kind of record <laughs> for the most amount of 90 degree days or something like that. Um, so it's it's been uh, it's been a very warm summer out here. At what point do we thank Al Gore? I'm just trying to figure that out. <laughs> Can I say that? <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been something else, but it's been quite lovely here in South Bend and. Uh, the crops are coming in now, and the fresh corn is in the uh, stores and all that kind of stuff. You know, stuff I don't eat on my diet. That's so. right. That's right. That's right. You're looking yeah. good, by the way, Ken. Well, thank you. So are you. You, uh, I'm telling you, you are less of a man every time I see you. <laughs> Same thing. I was noticing uh, you on, on your Facebook that how, how uh, good you're looking. So uh, fantastic, man. Well, thank you. And welcome to the uh, Living Stones Mutual Admiration Society. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, speaking, speaking of uh, Living Stones, we, you know, we finished our uh, series, which I enjoyed immensely, immensely, oh. on Mulieris Dignitatem, on yeah. the Dignity Vocation of Women. Just love that series. Yeah, you know, I was delighted by being able to read it and then chat about it with people both who'd heard the show, heard our discussions, as well as people who were like, oh, that document sounds wonderful. I'd like to listen to it. And so then, you know, I've been able to um, introduce more people to this wonderful 30-year-old, very prescient document of John Paul II. And then to be able to bring in, you know, our friends Miriam and Susie to join in the conversation and provide their perspective. What a great opportunity to um, really explore in depth the true Christian anthropology. What does it mean to be created in the image and likeness of God, authentically male and female? And so, yeah, couldn't have been any more timely. So now, you know, well, the question becomes, where do we go from here, Deacon? Well, we talked about how Mulier Sigitatem was is the 30th anniversary this year. Well, we have another yeah. document that's also celebrating a 30th birthday. and 50th. That, oh, sorry, 50th. Yes, 50th. Uh, what jubilee is that? Golden? Is that 50? Is gold? I'm not sure what that is. I think that's right. Yeah. Because yeah. 75 is like diamond. All right. Yeah. Excellent. It's uh, the one and only Humane Vitae by uh, Pope Paul VI's encyclical letter on, on human life, the generation of children, which was an, an incredibly controversial document at the time that it came out in 1968, and, and still reverberations uh, in the church even 50 years later. Uh, oh, yeah. and, and there's been much discussion about this document this year, so I, I, thought, I think it, we'd be remiss if we did not discuss the document. And it's not very long, so we can, have a, we can do a deep dive, and it won't take us uh, long to, to get through this. But there's a lot here 
especially as it relates to what's going on in our culture and our world today. Uh, so I, I'm very excited about uh, diving into this. And so why don't we start off, Ken, uh, get us started by talking a little bit about the history of this document, how it came came about and was finally released by Paul VI. Yeah, so this actually has a history that begins back uh, under the pontificate of Pope St. Uh, John XXIII, um, directly, kind of most most directly influenced this document, uh, kind of the beginning of this. Um, in March 1962, just about 37 days before he died, Pope John XXIII appointed a special commission called the Pontifical Commission on Population, Family, and Birth Rate to advise him and the church in advance of a United Nations World Health Organization conference. And so the Pope asked for some guidance, and then and then he passed away about a month later. And so when uh, Paul VI became Pope, uh, Paul VI kind of kept the commission going, and he said, you know, you guys keep doing your work. And this was primarily because at the time— Paul VI and the Second Vatican Council, the Council Fathers, were discussing the document that became Gaudium et Spes on the Church in the Modern World. And the Council Fathers kind of wanted to have a discussion about birth control in that document. And Paul VI said, you know, we actually have a commission for this. I want the commission to... Uh, to study the question in depth, because he was not entirely sure, and questions had been raised, whether or not the pill changed, uh, you know, would have any effect on the um, traditional Catholic moral teaching on contraceptives, artificial contraceptives. He wasn't entirely sure whether or not this chemical that uh, and hormonal pill, which was really then quite brand new, would operate in a different manner that would be licit, as we say, that would be morally acceptable. And so he wanted experts to advise him on the question. But uh, Paul VI also expanded that the size of this pontifical commission, because John Twenty-Third had appointed just six people to advise him, all um, European, kind of European experts. And uh, Paul VI expanded that to 72 people, uh, to, uh, 72 experts and clerics and members of the hierarchy. Uh, in the end, only 16 of those commissioners, people on the Pontifical Commission, were actually voting members. The rest were advisory experts and theologians. And so this commission delivered their final report, took their vote and delivered their final report to uh, the Pope in 1966. And then an interesting thing happened. Uh, the final report was the the vote as it was finally taken was not unanimous. There was actually there were kind of two sides. What ended up being called in a way uh, in a way that affected the coverage became the majority report and the minority report. And these reports, parts of these reports, got leaked to the press in English and French. Here in the United States, uh, they were published by the National Catholic Reporter in 1967, in spring of 67. And then about a year later, in July of 68, um, Pope Paul VI issued this document, Humanae Vitae. And so that's kind of a little bit of the, the background. Some of the charges that were issued even during that the leaking of the documents were that this was an attempt to force the Pope's hand and to put pressure on Pope Paul VI. Uh, because, of course, what ended up 
becoming known is that the majority report, so-called, was in favor of the Church changing the traditional teaching uh, that forbids artificial contraception. So that by leaking these reports, they uh, the hope was, well, we're we're, um, giving the the Pope pressure to um, make him conform to that vote. And that's actually a little bit of background uh, that is kind of critical for understanding why on the 29th of July, 1968, Pope Paul VI released this document as he was leaving the Vatican to go to uh, his summer retreat in Castel Gandolfo. And it seemed to come out at kind of a relatively odd time of year. Major documents don't normally uh, drop, as they say, at the end of July. Uh, normally, these things would, would have a nice long preparation time. But uh, um, that's kind of some background as to uh, the release of Humanae Vitae. Uh, excellent. That's a, a great uh, background in uh, history. And uh, I think one of the, the things that's controversial about it is that in the majority vote, they actually voted to to have contraception be listed in certain circumstances. I think that was a Within controversial marriage. thing. Within marriage, right. So, yeah. And then, of course, Pope Paul VI said no. <laughs> and right. uh, we released right. Humanae Vitae to, to the surprise of everyone because they were anticipating that this was going to be the case, uh, that we're going to follow suit like uh, the Anglicans did at, at the Lambeth Conference in 1930. and um, But that was not the case. Like the Holy Spirit protected the church and the constant unwavering teaching. And, and so and I'll, I'll bring up a little bit of other, other history as we uh, go through the document here, particularly we get to like paragraph uh, five or so. But why don't we just, uh, just kind of jump right in with that wonderful history that you've given us, just dive right into the document. Absolutely. Well, I think it's interesting to begin with even the very title. Uh, the title itself, Humanae Vitae, of course, papal documents and, and papal teaching uh, typically is named after the first beginning words in Latin of the document itself, or what's called the incipit. And the opening words of this in English are, the transmission of human life is a most serious role in which married people collaborate freely and responsibly with God the Creator. So humane vitae is that phrase of human life. The transmission of human life is the most serious role in which we participate. The subtitle is On the Regulation of Birth. So the Pope is specifically saying in this document, we are going to discuss, you know, the spacing of birth uh, on the regulation of birth. And he's going to explain to us in these in this kind of opening section why this is a prime time to address this question. As you, you know, just mentioned in 1930, the Anglicans at their own Lambeth Conference, which is their major conference each year of the of Anglicans from around the world, they voted to allow the use of contraception in within uh, certain circumstances within marriage. That was 1930. This document is coming out 38 years later, um, and so um, what we are we, we are looking at here is a document that is responding in many ways to both the changed situation in the world among people of faith, as well as responding to, of course, great currents in the culture that were uh, around in 1968. Everybody knows, if you know anything about history, you know that 1968 was a monumental year in, uh, in basically worldwide society. And so, Paul VI is responding to the needs of the time with this. And he's saying, we are going to discuss this because married people collaborate freely with God as a creator. 
you know, we co-create with God when in the marital act, which is a fancy way of saying within sex, within marriage, we are co-creators with God. And he goes on in this opening paragraph to say that it has always been a source of great joy to married couples, even though it sometimes entails many difficulties and hardships. And it's a fancy way of, and a kind of a roundabout way of saying within marriage, sex is a source of great joy. Married love is a source of joy, although it's also difficult. We need to recognize that. And really, I like to think of it as this power to co-create that we are invited to participate in makes it the single most important thing we can do because there we are most like and with God. God alone is the creator ex nihilo. God invites us to co-create a brand new soul, an eternal soul. As mother and father, we are co-creating with God. Therefore, this is the point at which Satan wants to attack us the most. He wants to destroy this moment when we are most like and with God. And that's kind of where I think this is so important, the question. No, absolutely. You know, this has implications for, uh, for what we're experiencing in our culture today. Yeah. No question or, or, or doubt about it. And um, if we go to the, the next paragraph... He, he is really interesting here. Um, he, he talks about a little bit more of the background here because the first place, there's a rapid increase in population, which yep. has made many fear the world. That world population is going to grow faster than available resources with the consequence that many families and developing countries we face with greater hardship. So he's looking at what's kind of leading up to this, uh, as you mentioned in your in your introductory remarks about the United Nations conference that's discussing things like yeah. population. Therefore, this myth of so-called overpopulation. You know, right. there there was a prediction that um, the world would run out of food, you know, that there'd be yeah. more people than their available resources. And that has not proven to be the case at all. You know, um, there are predictions. No, because technology has actually helped us address that question too. Exactly. Right? Exactly. They said there were, the population would be 10 billion by the year 2050. Now the estimate has been reduced to 9 billion, and now it's going to be reduced even more. The fact is that there is not an overpopulation problem. There's just not. Uh, what we see on television when you see, um, you know, the, the poor kids on the streets and the neighbors, and I've been to those places. I've been to South Africa where I've personally walked through those slum areas, walked through those ghettos, and, and also in the Philippines as well, just devastating poverty. But a lot of that is because of uh, famine. A lot of that is because of tribal warfare, a natural disaster. Those kinds of things that are causing people from the country to move into the city. And so that's what's calling overcrowding in cities, but not overpopulation. It just, I mean, if you just do the math, if you take um, the number of the people uh, in the world today and you allotted 1,250 square feet for every person and you divide that by the square feet of Texas, then everybody in the world can fit in Texas on a 1,250 square foot lot. I mean, if you if you group them wow. in groups of if you group them in groups of threes, so and that's Texas compared to the rest of the world. That's after you take out the oceans and the and the railroads and the valleys and all the uninhabitable places. You know, wow. um, everybody can in the world can fit in the size of, of Texas. So so this overpopulation thing is a complete myth. And if that's not a good enough evidence for you, take a look at what's going on in China. They went from right. a two-child policy now they have a three-child policy. Now they're even expanding it beyond that. Because now yeah. they realize that that's not enough 
to replace all the people who are dying or, or who are retiring, and their economy is going to fail if they don't get their population up. So they're actually encouraging more children, as are a number of other countries as well. Well, and Paul VI even talks about this in the in the next phrase in this same paragraph too. This can easily induce public authorities to be tempted to take even harsher measures to avert this danger. He's writing this in 1968. The one-child policy in China appears 10 years later because indeed their government is like, oh, we're going to be overpopulated, so let's implement the one-child policy. And as you have said, they realized we were woefully short-sighted to do such a thing because now they're running out of people to support their economy. You know, it's crazy. Uh, By the way, 1968, the year that this came out, is the year that Paul Ehrlich wrote his book, The Population Bomb, which he said the world would be, you know, the world would be out of resources, you know, by by the year 2000. He's like, well, I I missed that date. Yeah, clearly you did, buddy. Sorry. You know, kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. He goes on to say that um, it is also frequently difficult these days to provide properly for a large family. Family. So this is a recognition that, yes, there are there are challenges to distribution of resources. But that's a different question than saying that we are, as you pointed out, it's different than saying we're overpopulated. That's right. And he's talking about uh, housing conditions and greater demands on economic stability within the family. So he, he recognized the fact if you look at today, many families have to have both parents working in order just to make it to survive. You know, both parents working, two-income families, things like that. So he, he was recognizing, even back in 1968, some of the pressures that were uh, coming to bear upon society and the effect that they may have on the family that may be pushing this agenda of population control and, re- and, and, uh, and, and contraception as a way of curtailing some of these, as they were foreseeing these negative influences upon the culture. Um, but as it turns out, none of that actually panned out. That's right. He said now another uh, challenge or another reason why this is a timely document uh, continuing on is to say that there's a new understanding of the dignity of women and her place in society. So we need to recognize that our society and the structures in our society are changing and that we need to also understand not just women and their placement. So again, we talked about this for a number of weeks when we explored John Paul II's document, Mulieris Dignitatem, but then also there is, as he says, that we need to recognize the value of conjugal love in marriage and the relationship of the conjugal act to this love. So he says, you know, what is the value of sexuality within our marriage and how is sexuality an expression of the love of marriage? And so this is, um, you know, a, a, another reason why the discussion of sexuality and reproduction is vital to discuss in the, again, and again, this is 1968. The summer of love is in its high gear at the point that this document comes out. You know, the so-called summer of love in the United States, especially in California and things like that. This is uh, exceedingly timely. But then he goes on to say that the biggest challenge right now, though, is that um, the remarkable development and particularly he's talking about technological progress, that our progress in man's domination of nature should extend even to even even to our conjugal relationships, even to the sexuality and the laws that regulate the transmission of life. He says that this is um, the biggest challenge that we face right now. If we can do it, shouldn't we do it kind of deal? If we can, if we have the technological means, shouldn't we just dominate everything? That's ultimately what is being proposed. 
Exactly. Now we're we're seeing this now with these uh, genetic technologies, you know, with yeah. uh, fetal stem cell research and cloning, human cloning, or mixing human genes with animal genes and, and, and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, th- these are all the seeds that were planted. Just because you can advance technolo- technologically, uh, we have to look at the moral implications of that as well. Not to say just because we can do it, should we do it? Um, is it licit? Is it moral? Is this benefiting all of the, the common good of all of nature, uh, human society? Is it a part of uh, productive for human flourishing and development and growth uh, of the of the whole person and of persons within the community and within the, the larger, broader society? Not just what's good for individuals, not just to get a Nobel Prize, not just to, <laughs> you know, uh, to make a million dollars and get this patent for this technology that you just that, that, you, that you've just developed. So we have to right. look at we have to look at beyond the benefits of uh, personal uh, wealth and, and and look at what's what's best for everyone within society. And so I think all of those four things that we just mentioned is kind of the the uh, kind of the, the the foundation upon which. Paul VI uh, was writing uh, Humanae Vitae. And in 68 also, you know, you have uh, the, the Vietnam War um, right. going on as well and all the protests. And then you had women, also the the the, um, the women's movement, you know, um, mm-hmm. right, uh, equal rights for women and, and p- women burning their bras and things like that. Uh, uh, all that kind of stuff also going on as, as well. So it's a very tumultuous time, kind of a perfect storm uh, when this document was released. You know, there's a quotation at the end of the in, of the introductory paragraph that really, I think, come, cuts to the core, too. He says, The Church cannot ignore these questions, for they concern matters intimately connected with the life and happiness of human beings. And it reminded me of St. Irenaeus in the second century saying, The glory of God is man fully alive. And what we're talking about, again, are issues that are related to the most intimate part of our lives, not only personal intimacy with our spouse or with, a, you know, but also with, again, the moment when we are most like God, when we are invited to participate in the creation of new human souls. And so we're talking about things that cut to the core of us as beings, and the church cannot ignore these questions. You know, the church needs to be there because because God, Christ has given the church the ability to um, to interpret the law. And we'll get to that. Actually, he makes a whole point of that in paragraph four. But uh, first, we got to get to paragraph three. So I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I also didn't want to lose that quotation. Yeah, no, ap- excellent. And uh, in, in paragraph three, he asks actually a couple of what he calls new questions here. Um, he said, could it not be accepted that the intention to have a less prolific but more rationally planned family might transform an action which renders natural process infertile into illicit and provident control of birth? And, and uh, in other words, um, uh, is this idea that being uh, of not of having smaller family sizing actually um artificially planning or uh these these uh kinds of families or or uh rendering um in in fecund the the natural processes uh is that listen could that lead to further problems down the road and he asks a further question the time has Come whether the trans to as to discuss whether the transmission of life should be regulated by their intelligence and will, 
rather than the specific rhythms of their own body. So getting away from the natural law, the way God designed our bodies and just leaving it all up to, to intelligence and will rather than looking at God's design. So again, it's, it's my will and my intelligence and, and, and my technology over God's plan for, for human flourishing. Yeah, that's, you know, this is really kind of essentially a restatement of that biggest challenge that he was talking about in paragraph two, right? That our technology should, uh, because we possess the technology, shouldn't we use it? You know, shouldn't our, what we can do rule what we do actually do? Um, I think this is a, uh, you know, ultimately the, the big question here. And right, this is the same question, honestly, that, that faced, you know, hey, we have the ability to destroy an entire city with a bomb. Let's use it, you know, kind of deal. It's the same question that faced, you know, President Truman in 1945. And it's essentially the same question that the Pope says, this is what we're dealing with when we, when we are looking at things like artificial birth control as well. We have the technology. Shouldn't we use it? Because wouldn't it be smart for us to do so? I think it's interesting because he earlier in the same paragraph, he says, essentially, can we evaluate the moral licitness of any particular act by taking a larger view? You know, like you said, hey, our family is too large. So if we just stop having babies, then we'll be able to to um, provide better for them. Isn't that doesn't that make it OK if I if instead we use contraception, you know, most of the time, but occasionally we have babies. Isn't that OK if we take a larger view? This is kind of the idea of the fundamental option that uh, Pope John Paul II talked about later. This idea where each person makes a deep and basic choice for or against God, but well, even though the individual acts they perform may or may not be in accordance with that fundamental choice. And Paul VI is, of course, going to reject this because he's going to say each and every one of our acts needs to be in accordance with the natural law, which, you know, this is part of what uh, part of, of what it means to be acting in accordance with our reason and our nature as at one. So, but we have to, Deacon, believe it or not, we're going to have to pick up the conversation there next week. Yeah, it's, time is always too short, Ken. It just goes by so fast. I think time shrinks. But <laughs> <laughs> but until we do get together next week, uh, we will... Uh, how do people get in touch with us, Deacon? Well, they can uh, contact us through Facebook at uh, Mafia Day E Radio and just look at Living Stones there or you can go to our Twitter feed at Catholic Stones or, or our website. That's right, livingstonesmedia.org. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Deacon, until we gather next week and we're going to pick up the conversation with uh, with paragraph four here on Humanae Vitae, until then, might we have your blessing? Uh, yeah, just quickly, if people want to follow along with us, they can download the document from the Vatican oh, right. website. It's not that Absolutely. long. So. No, it's ter- it is short, and we'll also put a link there on livingstonesmedia.org so you can download that as well. Thanks for the reminder. And now, how about that free okay. blessing? Okay. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M A T E R D E I radio.com.